Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain it, what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. Alright Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello everybody, welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio. This is episode 338 coming to you on Tuesday, October 15th. We're going to look back at USC's loss to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in South Bend, talk about our rewatch, open up the mailbag, look back at Over Under, and so much more here in this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansite.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC. Suck it, what's Bruin Show? From the Rot Studio in Los Angeles, I'm your host, Mike Castillo. Joined along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We're in the studio uh, recording this week, and I'm super jacked up for it because I love recording in the studio. It's one of my favorite things. Makes e-editing really a breeze, actually. Streamlines everything. Streamlines so many things. Uh, I, I don't know that I want to say the audio quality is quite the same because I can I can do many more post-production tweaks the other way. But this still is great, makes things streamlined, and we can barbecue before podcasts. We can tailgate before podcasts. Also, we don't have to be at the mercy of my or your internet connections. I think so it's yours. I'm going to blame yours. Well, you've seen the studio internet. You've seen the random, is the internet out? Yeah. Moments. So uh, if that happens while we're recording this, no biggie. It's exciting. 
Yeah, that that is that, that's a good point. Uh, this makes it a lot easier that way. No blaming uh, technical difficulties. <laughs> I, I know, I know. I I can look you in the face and and, and call you on all your terrible takes. Uh, yeah, debatable. Mm. 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 You beat me in red card rules, though. Very I did. very upsetting. I did. We did best of five in FIFA red card rules, which is the superior way to play FIFA. And uh, I I got an auto win by having five players sent off. You found the snitch. I found the snitch. That's yeah. exactly what happened. Very, very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, but USC did not find the snitch. Uh, at Notre Dame in South Bend, your alma mater got the victory over the Trojans 30-27. to Every game Keaton Slovis alerts on the road, USC loses 30-27. to That's a rough for Keaton. Like, the first time around, BYU... I mean, he he played a huge role in that scoreline, but like the second time around, to have it be thirty to twenty-seven again, no overtime this time, no man. overtime, no overtime. But there was plenty of overtime on the Rain of Troy rant line with everyone dialing in. Let's go to the rants. What's up, Rain of Troy Radio? What's up? This is Dave from Orange County. Hey guys, this is Jim from Las Vegas. Hey guys, this is Samuel from South Carolina. Hi guys, Trinice from Inglewood. Tim from Alhambra. Josh from Buckeye Country. Big Ben 808. Hey guys, Jeff from Copenhagen. Hey Rain of Troy, this is L.A. Fred. Just because we made it respectable, you think this is not going to be a rant line? You know that feeling you get when you forget your homework and you're like in third or fourth grade? And that sinking feeling you get? That's the feeling I get when I'm watching the end of these USC games. It's so miserable that it's that close. I don't feel like a team that's as talented as SC is even should have more victories in the first place. They're not a bunch of freaking scrubs. You know, yes, the offense made it respectable, but that defense getting run up and down the field. They run for 300 yards against us? Are you kidding me? The defense can't make a stop every time. This team is fucking whack-a-mole. Just when you think you have one thing down, you push one in down, something pops up. So our rush defense was, was something that we could bank on, something that we could just absolutely count on. And what happens in this game absolutely pops up. Whoops. Oh, there's your problem. There's going to be a problem in the game. There's one one element of the game we're absolutely going to look silly every single game. For most of the games, it was our rush offense. No, no, no. Today, it's our rush defense. Just absolutely just stupid out there. We can't contain the edge. We can't stop a quarterback who scrambles out of the pocket and runs for big chunk yardage. Even though this guy's, again, not a running quarterback. God forbid what's going to happen to us when we actually play a running quarterback like Julio Tate. Ah, so much booty cheeks, man. Every single damn game. Road win is impossible for this team. And it's just miserable watching. All I can say is that was not a roughing the passer call at all. That was the cleanest thing I've ever seen in my life. He tackled about 80% of his body EA. Oh my gosh, that was totally clean. This ref crew is trash. We saw this ref crew like officiate during the USC Utah game. We all know that there's garbage. They're incompetent. They don't know what they're doing. They're just a bunch of deer in headlights. They're they're they don't know what they're doing. Honestly, this this officiating crew needs to get demoted or fired. Demoted to like JC or like high school league because they don't know what they're doing. They're just a bunch of clowns. And I think that may have been the biggest utter sham with Brian Kelly on the field. What the heck? He was almost 10 yards onto the field on that. Gee whiz. We didn't lose this game because of the refs. The roughing the passer call or the no call on the onside kick with Brian Kelly dancing out five yards onto the field during the onside kick, that's not what lost the game tonight. What lost the game is the same thing that's been losing games for us for the last four plus years. It's the coaching staff has our team 
lack of prepared, and they're consistently inconsistent. This is no longer uh, Groundhog Day miserable. This is a scary, freaky, county carnival house of mirrors that you can never get out of with Clay Helton pumped in in sound with his stupid, ridiculous post-game press conference excuses played over and over and over again with him running around in a clary, scary clown costume chasing you. This has got to end. This is just must end. And, and to all of those who are Clay Helton's sunshine pumper, I tell you what, any one of you who thinks that we are going to win out and go to the Pac-12 championship, I will right here and right now pay full round trip for you to come to Copenhagen, Denmark, and visit Denmark, all expenses paid, if you think that's going to happen. Of course, the counterside is that if I win the bet, you pay for me to come back and visit Los Angeles, all expenses paid. Just how much longer till we can be done with this Helton experience? It didn't work out. I'm tired of it. I'm exhausted. Can we fire Clay Helton yet? Please. Please, Urban Meyer. Please come save the USC Trojans, man. This is Trojan Nation 3. You know, now watching the game now, I'm wondering how much money is it going to take for us to get Urban Meyer here before the end of the year, not next season. And there were so many USC fans out there that were putting online that they were rooting for Notre Dame to win, and in some cases rooting for a blowout in hopes that it would expedite the firing of Clay Helton. Well, just to let you know, I've been a USC fan for almost 40 years now, and never have I ever thought of rooting for Notre Dame to beat USC. Ever. Oh. Frustration level is an all-time high with that. I uh, just want to say, pretty proud of our guys uh, keeping it within three. Didn't like a lot of the stuff that uh, they did, but uh, I'm okay with it because I'm at my best friend's house who's a Notre Dame fan, and uh, instead of ranting and raving about the game, I just taught his daughter the fight song. She's six. She'll be singing that stuff for two weeks at least. It's a win in my book. I don't want to be all negative tonight, so I purposely wrote down some positive things. These guys play damn hard for us. I never see anybody given lack of effort. Thought the secondary coverage was really, really good, especially after Isaac Taylor Stewart and Elijah Griffin went out of the game. Uh, Chase McGrath has just been money on the field goal attempts all year. Keaton Slovis proved he is the man for the job right now. He he put us in position to win this game, and damn it, this was another winnable game. Marquis Step was an absolute beast tonight. I don't have I don't have the energy anymore to be concerned with all the ways in which USC hasn't improved from last season. So instead of doing that, I'm gonna focus on something good. Can we talk about Marquis Step though? Kid balled out. Hashtag Step in the name of love. I'm so proud of him. 82 yards on 10 carries. I mean, it kind of makes you wonder. And a touchdown kind of makes you wonder why they didn't, you know, hand them off the ball more and just, you know, run it up the middle. That seemed to be successful. But this is a USC team that just chooses not to make any sense now, aren't they? Oh, excuse me. I forgot I was supposed to be being positive. Why don't we have Step on the field more often? He's the only player that seems to have any competence. Ugh. I'm done with this. Fight on till next year. It is what it is. Thanks, guys. Bye. Have a good night. Stay safe, everybody and fight on fight on there we go at least people fired up after usc's loss to the irish i don't think anything in the rant line has ever been more relatable than trinice saying i'm gonna try to be positive here's a positive and then swing it into a negative and go like oh whoops i was i was meaning to be positive <laughs> it's easy to do that isn't it it's, oh, it it's is. super easy uh to do that and 
That's that's where USC is the 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 medium place because I, I was thinking about it, listening to the rant line, and you know the, the you know LA Fred says it was yet another close game. It really was like it is absurd that you can sit here and say that you know USC has is three and three three losses. Um, it'd be ridiculous to say they should have won all those three games, but you can make an argument for each one of them why they should have won it. And you can make the argument that if SC was, you know, a little bit better here, a little bit better there, uh, a little bit better coached, a little bit better this, a little bit better that, they could be sitting here at 6-0. and And, like, I, I'm, it, it's absurd that we can make that argument when they are 3-3, three and three, but yet that's, that's the realistic thing that SC is in right now. That's, that's, that's where they put themselves. Yeah, well, and it, and that goes back to last year. That goes back to, you know, USC was just a couple of bounces away from being, you know, seven and five. And then from there, from being seven and five, you're a couple more bounces away from being, you know, 10 and two or whatever it is. That's always the case for USC because USC always does have uh, the, the talent, does have the players. And uh, one, of, one of the callers I thought made a, a good point that like, you know, the players keep fighting and this is why they play close games is because they keep competing and they don't. You know, they, they go down 20 to 3 at one point in that game and then they, you know, more or less storm back and they and they keep keep up the fight. And um, on the one hand, that's a really, really admirable thing. Uh, on the other hand, it just kind of makes you more frustrated because you can see all of the pieces that could come together here if somebody just took this team, took this squad and actually and, and actually molded them into something that could reach their potential you really would have a, a, a really really good team but instead this team is sort of sitting in that medium place and it's more frustrating for being that uh you know being in this in this purgatory is is it it, it might be the sort of worst of, of of all the worlds uh that that that's not true though because this team could be zero and six and uh, we could be having entirely different conversations about the team quitting and then... What if Fresno State wins the first game on the last play of the game? Or on that last drive, right? Yeah. Uh, which, well, I guess they would need a two-point conversion. Whatever. Let's say they pull that out, right? And KJ Costello plays for Stanford and makes a big difference and... Yeah, I don't know how you flip the Stanford game around. Uh, but I don't know. I, the let's Utah say game. The, the Utah game is very simple. They don't get the safety. Yeah. And, and then, they don't turn the ball over a bunch of times in the red zone. And, yeah, Utah doesn't. Yeah. And then, you know, that game plays out probably how it should have. But if but if USC is losing games like uh if USC is losing games like going 0 6 and getting the the getting blown out, then we're having conversations about how the players the players aren't good enough and how um, they've they've quit or they've given up or they don't they lack the mentality or there's needs to be a massive culture change all that kind of stuff and I don't think that's the conversation that we need to have coming out of this loss um, I think that the conversation that we're having coming out of this loss is pretty much the same conversation we've been having all year which is USC needs to upgrade one particular position well well that's the other thing I think that as frustrating as three and three is for USC right now. Is it not the best place to be in in terms of having clarity? Because if they were 6-0, and we'd be sitting here. It'd be super easy to lie to yourself and say that, you know, and I know... The changes I, in the offseason. Yeah, and, and all this stuff. And Because I don't think you have to change much for SC to be 6-0. And, and I've said this before. They're not a vastly better team. Yeah. 
Uh, they'd be 6-0 and in name only. And not much changes, right? Um, at the same point, if they're 0-6, you're lying to yourself about the talent and ability this team has. Yeah. And yet, you sit here at 3-3, three and three, and we can say SC is one of the most talented teams in the country. They have great players that can go out there like a Keaton Slovis in his second ever road start after a concussion and look like a damn man at quarterback. Uh, and you have Marquis Stepp and, and Michael Pittman and Talano Hufanga and Drake Jackson and all these guys, all these players that people love to buy into because they've shown you know, reasons to buy into them and at the same time be a flawed team with a multitude of errors, giving up 300 yards rushing and this and that and turnovers, not winning the turnover, but all that stuff. We can see both sides and say, you know, there's, there's positives, there's negatives. And as frustrating as it may be, that's the duality of USC football right now. Yeah. Well, you know, to you, to make an analogy, USC, you US, make a food analogy to no to, food. I'm not going to steal Ryan's food analogies okay, right, right here. I'm going to make a real estate analogy. (laughs) Um, USC is a really, really valuable piece of land. And the football team is... We're talking like like Boardwalk, Parks Parks Place? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, And USC, uh, the team, is the building, the structure that is sitting on that land. And when you're going through evaluating, like what, you know, you buy the land and you're going through evaluating, well, what are you going to do with it? Um, do you need to do the full teardown? The house is un- the, the, the structure itself uh, is unsavable. Uh, or can you do a renovation where you maybe tear it down to the studs? And, are you going to be uh, lowering capacity by doing the renovation? Like well, you're going you're gonna to lose some like thousands of seats by doing that. Well, exactly. Yes. But uh, but either way, when you're doing the evaluation of the house, like the wood isn't rotted. Uh, doesn't have a lot of termite damage or mold or anything like that. I mean, like, depend depends on who you ask. Well, but. it depends on who you ask, but like at this, but you still are, are looking at a at a structure that if you got the right contractor in, they could make that house beautiful on that wonderful piece of property. It wouldn't actually take that much of an investment to get it done because right. of the, the wood needs to be sanded and finished. Yes, not removed. Not removed right. and and taken. So so. In that sense, USC isn't in the worst position in the world, um, except that the current, you know, owner of the house and the current contractor don't know what they're doing. So I've taken that analogy as far as I can take it, as any as everyone probably can tell. Right. Fair enough. Uh, anyways, that was the rant line. You can call in next week, 213-373-1872. We're going to talk about this game so much more. Uh, and we already have been over on Patreon. Alicia, you did your rewatch on Sunday. We both rewatched the game. You put out your, your rewatch episode over on Patreon, patreon.com slash reign of Troy. Don't want you to spoil it too much because we're going to talk about it a little bit here in the next segment. But so much good stuff on Patreon with the rewatch uh, we did last week during the bye week. We had an after dark. Uh, you do uh, car cast after every practice. So many things going on. And then if you want to be a part of the Rock Crew, uh, you can join our Slack channel. We're talking about a million things, everything from USC football to food to Star Wars and Star Trek and whatever other nerd things you, you guys talk about that, uh, that I don't participate in. On Monday, there was extensive conversation about Harry Potter and Star Wars, and it was extremely distracting for me 
trying to do my work. So I literally had to turn Slack. I had to quit Slack out um, so that I could get my work done. But uh, good, good, good conversations going on in the No in talking Slack about group. soccer, though. But No talking about yeah, soccer. So if you're not soccer, into soccer is off limits. D- don't don't uh, worry. Don't but worry. we do nerd out a little yeah, bit. A little bit. Uh, for five bucks, you get all five fifty-five. You get all of our bonus content, uh, all of our podcasts, and all that. For ten bucks, you get to join the Slack channel as well. Patreon.com/slash/reignoftroy is the website to do that and to join. We'll be right back. Take a quick break. Come back with the news and then get into the rewatch. Alicia, let's get into the news. Vivai Malapai is having surgery because of the swelling in his knee. It has not uh, gone down. It's increased. He's going to have surgery to kind of scope it out, and it's unknown how long he will be out. This was something that came out in Clay Helton's Sunday night conference call. Yeah, big bummer for me because he's my guy, Vi. Uh, I'm a big fan of Vi Malapai. And this is something that he's been dealing with for a few weeks now. Um, they gave him the week off for the bye week to try and get his uh, get his knee uh, settled a little bit. And obviously the Notre Dame game was a bridge too far for him. So um, Clay Hilton didn't make it sound like he would be out like for the rest of the season. I'm thinking a couple, you know, maybe hopefully, let's say three to four weeks. Um, but it is also the kind of thing that it wouldn't be surprising at all if this stretched out uh, through the through the end of the season, which... Um, which basically leaves USC in a little bit of a conundrum at running back because their depth was already not particularly uh, great in terms of uh, in in terms of number of players. Like the depth is great because you got Stephen Carr and you've got Marquis Step, um, but those are the only two guys that you have left in your rotation there. Um, so it looks like Keenan Kristen, the true freshman, might be called into action, which is interesting because before the Notre Dame game, before they had reason to call him into action, Graham Harrell had talked about how he was a guy that they might try to get involved later in the season as as uh, circumstances allowed within the confines of his red shirt with the four games for his red shirt um, because he has a really unique skill set. He's a track speed guy uh, who might suit this offense really well in terms of the, the outside running that they want to do um, and that he's the kind of guy that maybe they'd be more willing to involve in jet sweeps and and uh, pass catching out of the backfield and, and all of that. So interesting times coming forward, but uh, it's, uh, you know. He, USC, he, he's, he's kind of the reverse uh, Marquis Step, the anti-Marquis yeah, Step. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about thunder and lightning, Marquis Step and Keenan Kristen are those dudes. Um, the, the problem USC has is that running back is a notoriously injury-prone position, right? So if something happens to Stephen Carr, or an injury-prone player, then you're down to two. And if something happens two freshmen. to two freshmen, one is a redshirt freshman in step. Yeah. Right. And if something were to happen to step, you're, you're you know, you're down to two, down to one. Alicia, I got to say, I've got a suggestion. I, I, I know a guy. Dom Davis down the sideline. See, they've That's moved. Right. They've moved Dom Davis to slot receiver. So he is on he, offense. He's a right little now. bit closer. Just move him one spot over. You can you can do it. Not not trying to rain on anyone's parade, but USC does have walk-ons that they feel pretty confident in at running backs. You're, so. you're telling me they go to a walk-on over Dom Davis. Can you listen to this? 
Dom Davis down the sideline. He can go down the sideline, Alicia. Uh, I mean, I'm sh- I know he can because we 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 saw him do such things. Uh, but I'm I'm just saying the guys who have practiced at running back for USC for the whole year, um, you know, like like uh, Quincy Junty, Ben Easington. I don't even know how many of these guys are like healthy right now. But Quincy Junty played because he's on special teams. You see him on special teams. He was teams, one of so. the players we'll talk, probably talk about. I, I have some words. I have some words for Quincy Junty. Yes, <laughs> he wasn't the worst of them, but he was at the scene of the crime. Uh, let, let's move on. Talk about other injuries. Uh, Greg Johnson hurt his shoulder. Max Williams was not injured, but he was suspended for the Notre Dame game for a violation of team rules. Pallier Naoteote and Isaac Taylor Stewart both sprained their ankles. Both were able to be taped up and finish the game, but uh, it's unknown if that's going to linger going into uh, U of A this week. Uh, and then Elijah Griffin had back tightness again. Yeah, so he was pulled. Elijah Griffin was pulled from the game with that back issue, and that's definitely a huge concern because he missed a game over this. So uh, if it's come back, then that then it's possible that he could miss the Arizona game. And with the ankle sprains, that's very worrying. Um, Palaia Naoteote at linebacker is concern enough, but you when you whenever you see sprains, you worry about your skill position guys, the guys who have to do quick change change of direction, like a cornerback. Uh, so Isaac Taylor Stewart, I suppose it depends on how severe the sprain was. Uh, I'm guessing this is total guessing, but. I have to imagine that if it was a high ankle sprain for either one of them, would they have been able to come back in the game and play? If it's a low ankle sprain, maybe you're talking about a, a you know, they can sort of just give you an injection of a painkiller or whatever and keep and keep you out there. But um, the secondary is definitely something to be very concerned about because the depth wasn't great there to begin with. And now you have literally three starters there uh, who are dealing with injuries and and. Greg Johnson, we haven't heard what the prognosis on that is, but he has had shoulder sur- shoulder injuries in the past, so it sure looked to me like a dislocation. And it, It's not good when your three starting corners go down, if you include yeah. Greg Johnson as a corner at nickel. Uh, well, not, and he is a backup corner. Right. It's not a good situation <laughs> uh, for USC there. Uh, Carolina Makaula got in there for the Trojans, a true freshman out of Hawaii. Which honestly was a little bit surprising to me. Uh, that was That is not who I would have pegged as the guy who would uh, come in. Uh, it's unfortunate that Max Williams was unavailable because I liked what I saw from him against uh, UW, but uh, good on good on Makaula. The, the, I mean, the nice thing about Makaula is he goes in and I honestly didn't notice him, which is the biggest compliment you can pay to a, to a defensive back uh, is that you don't notice them in the game when they're in there, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, let's talk about odds for next week. According to the census line from the Action Sports Network, USC is favored by nine over Arizona this week on homecoming. The Wildcats coming off of, uh, would you call that a big loss to Washington? Uh, I think Washington was only favored by six, and the the Huskies covered by a fair bit. Uh, Khalil Tate didn't do much, but a uh, big night for, for Jacob Eason in Tucson does, I mean, no, we don't want to get into our preview or anything, but does that nine point line seem right for you? It seems right for me. If USC can take advantage of Arizona's defense, the way that everyone else seems to have been able to take advantage of Arizona's defense. Um, but uh, you know, it's a little worrisome if, if you look at, uh, I mean, even in the rant line, 
We had callers talking about how scary it is to consider what someone like Khalil Tate could do to this defense. So uh, nine points should be should be something that USC is able to uh, to overcome in this game as far as as far as setting a line. But at the same time, do you trust USC? I don't. Yep. Yep. Uh, our friend Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com would always say, "Don't do not take the Trojans there. Never. No. no don't do it." Uh, let's talk about Reggie Bush. There was news about him last week that apparently the dissociation uh, with him and USC is allegedly ending in 2020 after 10 years, something that people have always said should have been the, the deal straight away. That was like the the Chris Weber dissociation that, that he had at Michigan. This is per a interview with Dave Roberts from Trojansports.com. I am so perplexed by this thing. Because Dave Roberts talks about how the decision with the NCAA uh, infractions committee uh, com- infractions is that the, the right? committee on infractions yeah, of which infractions. Uh, Dave Roberts is the, the current interim AD for USC. Dave Roberts is the vice chair of the committee on infractions. Yeah, and the committee on infractions apparently instituted a rule that makes disassociations no more than 10 years. And what's confusing about it is that Dave Roberts seemed to indicate that this was a couple years old. So... Which makes no sense when... Like, like if if Dave Roberts has known about it, then why is it that when USC has any official statement or anything, it's from the mind of, well, it's all up to the NCAA. But if the NCAA's already decided, then... Where's the miscommunication? Well, well, I, 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 mean, I don't get it. Dave Roberts has been a, uh, he was in USC's compliance department. He was a special advisor to Carol Foltz when she came on as the new as the new yeah. president. So he, he brought in Clayton Kershaw and he blew that game beautifully because the <laughs> Dodgers are trash. Other yeah. Dave Roberts. But what doesn't make sense is that this wasn't, this wasn't like just a couple of weeks, you know, a couple of years ago or whatever that Pat Hayden was talking about wanting Reggie Bush back and not being able to get the clearance or whatever. Um, literally a couple of weeks ago, when USC is getting ready to play Utah, USC has to go through an entire rigmarole to find out if Reggie Bush is going to be allowed. What are the parameters for allowing Reggie Bush to be part of that broadcast? And as part of that whole rigmarole, Arash Markazi of the LA Times writes a, a, a column about how uh, the disassociation with Reggie Bush is is basically is highlighting how stupid it is. Um, but he has a quote from USC's SID saying that, uh, you know, USC has always said that they would welcome him back when they could, but it's up to the NCAA. So, like, where's the disconnect here between Dave Roberts hinting or or, or assume? The only thing I can think of is maybe Dave Roberts assumed that it is retroactive to the disassociation that USC uh, was put in place with Reggie Bush, but that the NCAA doesn't see it as a retroactive thing. Like maybe it's for disassociation going forward. Should vice chairman of the board? Of, He's of on the, the board of committee. I mean, he should have that wrong he assumption. He should be able to find out at least. You would think. So what I'm worried about. This is the thing I'm worried about, and this is very much spinning, not necessarily conspiracy theory, but just like this weird, weird worry that goes on in my head is like. Was USC using the the NCAA as a smokescreen or as a a way to not have to deal with the Reggie Bush question? Like, was that them just sort of saying, like, uh, whatever, we're just going to let this go until the NCAA lets us have it? And maybe Pat Hayden was pushing the idea of we need to get Reggie Bush back. But once Pat Hayden was gone, they sort of dropped the ball and were like, meh, we don't care anymore. 
I mean, that might be the case, but it's weird to me that we literally just had this discussion and now, you know, three weeks later, USC's interim AD drops this bomb that's just like, oh, yeah, 2020, summer of 2020, June 1st, 2020. It's like, wait, wait, what? What? You know what it's like? It's like in a sitcom when they're they're trying to find uh, a a check and they can't find a check that they need to cash. And they're like, what the hell? This is, you know, we need to find money by Friday. Like, by Friday, we're going to get beat up for Debo's going to come beat our ass on Friday, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. And then they get to Friday. And then some other friend walks up and is like, what's all this about? I cashed the check two weeks ago. Yeah. And it's yeah. like. You mean the the whole movie was for not like I mean you could you could have mentioned I mean you you could have yeah I mean I don't know just the whole thing is weird and and we don't even know if this is like the official stance of the NCAA or the official stance of USC but now that the cat's out of the bag like somebody's gonna have to address this because if if June first twenty twenty passes and USC doesn't welcome Reggie Bush back with open arms then I'm gonna have words so this will get interesting. Yeah, but the bottom line is, if if everything is is up to snuff, uh, it's great news for USC to have Reggie Bush back. Um, getting him back into the fold and not having him be like Voldemort is 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 a good thing for the Trojans. Yeah, for sure. Yep, one hundred percent. Take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the game. Uh, looking back at it after the rewatch. We'll be right back. All right, Alicia, you and I watched the game back USC and Notre Dame, the Irish winning 30 to 27. In, you know, in, in the car cast, we, we both took the line of how frustrating this game was for USC. And, you know, watching it back, do you feel the same way? Because I have... I feel two ways, and both are very strong, uh, but I w- I'll get into those. I, w- I want to hear your thoughts here. I think that the offensive performance was better than I thought it was, although it was still glaringly uh, insufficient. What I came away on the rewatch was that the defensive performance was well worse than I thought it was. The defensive performance was awful. And the real concern here is that the defensive performance was awful in the areas where USC is supposed to have strength and not just in the areas that we know are weaknesses. For instance, we knew that USC can't defend the edge, and so no one was was surprised when uh, Notre Dame scores a 51-yard touchdown on a a reverse. Uh, That is not a surprise at all. What is surprising is what... You know, I I don't have, like, a percentage, but, like, the, the, the piece of the pie chart of the runs that Notre Dame has, with the, which they have 300-plus points, a large chunk of... Uh, 300-plus yards, geez. Uh, a large chunk of those yards come between the tackles. And they come because Notre Dame is is winning the battle up front and pushing USC back five yards down the field. And, like, Marlon Tupelotu has six tackles in this game, but a lot of them are down the field. A lot of them are five yards down the field, and that is... Very, very concerning. Uh, the other thing that's very concerning is that Jay Tufele has like one tackle in this game. So on the one hand, you have Marlon Tupelota who's active but in the wrong way. 
and you have Jay Tufele, the arguably one of the best players on your defense, if you know, best player on your defensive line, and he's nowhere to be seen all game. And you have Christian Rector getting exposed on the end, and the best part of your defensive line is Drake Drake Jackson, and even Drake Jackson was pretty much absent except for the two times he popped up for a tackle for loss. Like, it was bad from USC in, in the trenches, and I haven't even started talking about the linebackers and how awful, awful, awful the performance from John Houston and Pali Inateote slash Kanai Malga was. So USC's defense, the things that we thought we were going to be able to count on this year in terms of evaluating this team, that got blown up against Notre Dame. The only thing that USC can hope for is that Notre Dame probably has the best offensive line USC's going to face all year. So... Uh, I mean, Washington was was pretty good. Oregon's is pretty damn good. Yeah. So I I don't know that I I I would rate Notre Dame's ahead of Washington's pretty solidly. But in in that group, in that group, yeah. one one of the better ones that they're going to face. But, I, I I just want to know like the cojones on Chip Long to say, you know what? We watched a lot of film. Everyone's been able to run everywhere but up the middle. So we're going to put their entire game plan and running up the middle, like. How do you pull that off? Because I, I you have know. faith in your offensive line and you tell them to go win their battles. And guess what? <laughs> they go win their battles. Fair. That's fair. I mean, that's the other problem. My other thing about the rewatch was, man, USC's offense was really great except for the offensive line. Like, the offensive line was bad. And Keaton Slovis is good. The running backs are all good. The wide receivers are all good. The tight end is good. So, like, where did everything go wrong? Why does USC? Why do USC have? Why does USC have drive stall in this game? Because the offensive line, because the offensive line does what we know that they always do. They have the blue screen of death, as as uh, full of nopes is is uh, on Twitter is always sending to me, which is absolutely cor- correct. Like the the crazy thing about about you know just switching over to defense for a second is that the the defense all the numbers are horrific. They're in the hundreds and so many different stats, and it's it's awful looking. And yet their ability to continuously keep teams to 20 to 30 points is remarkable given the circumstance. USC's defense like shouldn't be anywhere near medium based on the like the stats. Because USC's defense is like in the hundreds, right? In in a lot of the big stats. And yet USC's defense manages to be medium because they don't actually give up that many points. Like relative to where they rank in every stat category, they don't give up points. And it doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to make a nerdy analogy for any hockey people listening. There's a stat in hockey called PDO. It is and doesn't stand for anything. It's literally named after a dude on a message board from like 12 years ago. So it is shot percentage plus save percentage. Very simple. The idea is... Every team should basically be at about 100 because your save percentage and your shooting percentage should kind of balance out, right? And so teams that are... Are, win- you, are you looking to have... So an average team will have a 50% save percentage no, no, and a 50%... It, no, no. If your save percentage is 50%, that's god-awful. So then what's... what is Define shot percentage for me. Shot percent... So your shooting percentage is usually going to be... Uh, the, the, how many shots... Uh, of the shots on goal or goals, right? So, oh, okay. So, if you have thirty shots and you score, uh, you know, three goals, that is a ten percent shooting percent percentage, right? Okay. So, now flip it around. You made twenty-seven saves out of thirty. Uh, that's gonna be 
Nine, 90%. Nine whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. 90%. Exactly, right? So, so so an average team is going to be 90% and 10%. Yeah. Okay. Well, not nine. No. We're going into the minutiae. Okay. The, I mean, what what you want, you, you want your goalie to be above 920. Okay. Uh, 912, 915 is, is the league average, but we're getting way off track here. Okay, either, People either are way. listening. The point is- 100%. Yeah. The point is that about 100 is where the PDO is. And yet every year there's a team that ends up like Arizona this year, right? In football was all of a sudden they were four and one, you know, tops of the Pac-12 South. They would be a team where in hockey, maybe you look at their PDO and their PDO is like at 108 because maybe their their save percentage is like at 93% and their shooting percentage is at 15, both way above average. Then they are a team you look at and say, they're going to regress back to the mean because that is unsustainable and they're going to have a regress regressing PDO wait for the crash. And I feel like USC's defense is a high PDO defense at this point. Like we talk about how reliable they are to keep teams between 20 and 30. And this is why for the most part, I don't care about the defense because that has just been such a lock that as long as that keeps happening, I don't necessarily care what this defense does. And I know that's ridiculous, but that's just the expectations they have set up for it, right? They, they had an awful, god-awful performance and, and they still, still only g- gave up 30 points. They still only like, gave I'm up 30 points, I'm not saying there right? was a good performance by any stretch of the imagination, no. but when you when your god-awful performance but, but is giving say, up 30 points, you, know, like, you, you can, can make still the win offense, that game. You can make the, the, the argument that saying only 30 is asinine, too. Sure, I, I get yeah. it all, right? But, like... You look at all the numbers when they're 100th in this and that and 100th in something else, 120th in this, all those numbers, and yet you look at the scoring defense and they're constantly keeping teams to 23 points, 24 points, 27 points, whatever it is, like which stat is going to win out at the end of the day? Is is USC high performing and that, that dam's going to break and all of a sudden this is going to be a defense that's giving up 40 points a game because then the scoring average will reflect how bad USC is in these other categories? I, I don't know. Like, is that regression coming? That's what I want to know. I, I, I don't know if it's a regression, but I think that you will have the dam burst eventually. Like, I don't think that USC's defense can give up yards the way they do. I don't think USC's defense can have breakdowns the way they do and expect to continue to holding, you know, to continue to have an average. Their scoring average right now is 25.7. You can't continue to hold teams to 25-ish points when you're just statistically performing the way that USC is between the 20s, more or less. Eventually, someone's going to take advantage of you. And that's the thing, too, about, like, Notre Dame. Notre Dame... Had their, but it's not like Notre Dame played a flawless game. Like it's not like Notre Dame took complete advantage of everything that USC was giving them advantage of. Um, you know, Ian Book is a good quarterback, but he's not the best quarterback that USC is going to face all year. And uh, and and you have to worry what will happen when someone really does. Like this is why everyone's worried about Khalil Tate because Khalil Tate is built to screw with this defense. And but this is when I also pop in here and SC is. Shut him down for two and a half games. He had right. he had one game two years ago in 2017 where he had about a 15 minute stretch where he was amazing, and outside of that didn't do anything. All right. and he hasn't done anything the other two games. I'm gonna save. You should save this answer for the preview episode that we do later this week. Okay, but 
I would like everyone to consider. Who is the edge defender who is going to keep Khalil Tate contained in 2019? Tune in Thursday. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, here, okay, the other, the other thing I want to talk about to me is the cognitive dissonance. And and it goes back to what we talked about in the open, how as frustrating as three and three is, it might be the most accurate because you can see the positives and you can see the glaring deficiencies and that both exist really encapsulate where USC is. But this game I think was a prime example of that because I, I'm, it, it kind of goes back into what Clay Helton talks about all the time. And I don't want to give him, I don't want to buy into the, the post-game narratives that, that, that he's put out in press conference and all that's coach speak. I don't really care about coach speak. I'm not going to blame him for that stuff. I know people don't like it, blah, 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 right? But he's not wrong when he says that this team has a great opportunity to win the South and keep going and all that kind of stuff. If you look at the second half, if SC plays like they did in the second half, they can or will beat every team on this schedule. Hold on, hold on. I, I know you, you're gearing up. You're taking that big side that's going to just... Yep. I, I, no, I, I, I feel you. If they play that way in that second half, the rest of the year, they should win out or f- go 5-1. and one. Uh, They should finish the season 9 or 3, not, you know, maybe 9-3, and three, and you get to the point of, you know... What's going to be the turnaround that that validates all the offseason changes and all that stuff? And this team could potentially go far and blah, blah, blah. Obviously not the playoff or anything, but like they could potentially win the conference and blah, blah, blah. If they played like they did in the second half, because Keaton Slovis was so damn good in the second half of that game. Passer rating of 198.9 in the second half. That's like Kyler Murray level. Baker Mayfield level, level passer rating. He did this coming off of a concussion in his first start on the road since that BYU game, which is his true first start on the road, and against a number ten, a number nine team in the country at night on prime. Like it is insane how good he played, and it's insane how good Amon Ross St. Brown was in this game, and Marquis Step was in this game. All these these players that you you isolate that showed these great performances for USC, and you're like, man, if this team plays like this every single week, how good can they be? They can go far. And then, you remember, they don't do that every week, and <laughs> they're unreliable, and, in you know... They've got to prove that they do that stuff before you can really buy in. And so the cognitive dissonance of this game is that, like, man, they showed you everything that USC is good at in this game. And they also showed you things that they still have so much work to do in this game, particularly when you talk about the defense. And so it's a weird game to look at. I, I, I don't know how to dissect it because there's positives there. There's bad stuff there. It, it's it's media, like like you always say. I have two things to say to you. All right, you're going to... Hold on, can I guess? No, you cannot. Because you will not guess this. <laughs> no, I feel like I might. You really won't. I might. Give me a shot. Guess. You're going to say, yeah, but if we're talking about the second half, well, the third down run by Ian Book and the touchdown run by Ian Book happened in the second half, and if they keep giving up that, then Khalil Tate's going to run all over this team, and then Jane Daniels is going to run all over this team, and what's Jake Herbert going to do? And then what's this... Th- the, no, this is something you already heard me say today, so that was not what I was going to say. <laughs> what I was going to Fair. say is... If it's and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Oh, I know, I know, I know. 
Also, don't be a sucker, I'm, Michael. I'm not. No, I just told you why I'm not buying no, in. But you're. But no, I, you're not. It's not that you're buying in. You're doing the thing that I always do, and I am a damn sucker, and I'm tired of it. Stop being a sucker by saying if this team did this and if this team did that and if they just played like the second because half. Because we know the, the ifs. Because not the, come the, true. because ifs and buts are candy and nuts, and we're not having a merry Christmas or whatever the heck that damn statement is that doesn't make any damn sense. There is no if they play like the second right. like the second half. They will play like the second half at times. They will also play like the first half at times. They will be who they are and we need to stop asking them or or expecting them to be anything different than what they are. Um, they are who we thought they were. And we've let them off the hook and I'm just we we need to stop living in this fantasy world where if things come together, if they put in a complete performance. Like how long have we been asking for them to put in a complete performance? A long time. A long time and long it's never time. happened. So like that's on us now to just accept that we're not going to get that complete performance. Well, that's why you know when we're talking about the defense. I like I said like I don't care. They give up 300 yards. It's awful. The I, de- I the defense I is going to give up between 20 and 30 points yeah. and that's who they are and that's right. And and by now to clarify since I got so much heat after the Washington game for say for being apathetic. The apathy is not in a in a place of that's okay. Yeah. The apathy is in a place of I'm going to stop worrying about that because it's just going to be. But this is also where I'm coming at it now from a perspective of I'm going to stop saying if. I'm going to stop saying maybe. I'm just going to shrug my... I am at the apathetic point. Um, and I, I do want to highlight, I want Bill Connolly puts out his, uh, now of ESPN, he puts out his like uh, statistical analysis for each game, right? His, the, the chart with all the numbers. And he it, it, accompanying that was a tweet today where he said... Going to watch this game on the treadmill this afternoon, but before I do, what? How does anything here make sense? USC almost never falls behind schedule, doesn't turn turn the ball over, makes more havoc plays, and loses, question mark? He comes back later, and he uh, quote tweets it that's, and says, Now that I've watched, dot, 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 simple maturity and ability to maximize opportunities. USC controlled the field and the game for 20 minutes, but only went up three to nothing. Notre Dame controlled the next 10 minutes and they went up 17 to 3. That is the difference between USC and Notre Dame. That is the difference between USC and being a good football team that we can rely on. The timing, the taking advantage of opportunities. We don't see that from USC. Now, we did see them do that against Utah and we did see them do that against Stanford. And they came back and didn't do it against BYU and didn't do it against Washington and didn't do it against Notre Dame because this is they are the Jekyll and Hyde and they will live and die on those little rolls of the dice that whichever way the ball bounces, that's what's going to happen for for USC. But when it comes down to it, this is not a, a, a team that is mature enough to engineer those situations consistently. It's going to be a roll of the dice. And it, I mean, like at a certain point, you have to accept the the luck that you're playing like if you go into a um if you go into a, con- a casino you go on a slot machine all right gambling uh, uh, analogies analogy. I, I, I dig this you, you don't don't, you don't even gamble i don't but why don't i gamble cuz cuz you're a wuss well i'm a cheapskate but uh i i don't gamble because <laughs> because i like to put my money into things that i feel like i'm getting definite something back so for instance i will spend the $60 on a new video game because I know I'm going to get a certain number of hours of enjoyment out of said video game and I feel like the exchange uh, is uh, is worth it, right? 
So people get enjoyment out of gambling. I, it just stresses me out. But you walk into a casino and you go to a slot machine and you pull the little lever. And at a certain point... Now it's just press a button, by the way. Oh, press a button, whatever. And then they make it really simple. They're like, re-roll, and you just do that, and you're all of a sudden it's like, $1 is gone. Wait, holy crap, $16 are gone? I've sat here for 12 seconds. How yeah. did that happen? Well, okay, so obviously I don't do a lot of slot machines. But the point is, a slot machine is inherently a game of luck. There is no skill to playing a slot machine. You can trick yourself into thinking that there's skill. There really isn't skill. You're hitting a button. No, the skill is picking the machine. You got to pick the right machine. The skill is knowing when to walk away. No, no. Pick the machine that's right on the aisle because those are the ones that are rigged to win more because they want people to win on those. So people see that you're winning and then they're like, oh, I need to I need to be gambling over here, too. That's, this that's is, the key. This is the analogy we use for the Pac-12 refs rigging the game. <laughs> So hold on, Michael. We'll get there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but the, the point is, it's a game of luck. And when you walk in and you hit the button, you're you're signing up to play the game of luck. And you'll win some and you'll lose some. But in the end, your skill level does not matter. It You sit down and it either wins or it does doesn't. Does it matter more or less than quarterbacks? <laughs> My point is, if you walk into a casino and walk over to a poker table and play Texas Hold'em, Skill can win you a game of Texas Hold'em. There is such a thing as being skilled at playing the game of Texas Hold'em. There are elements of luck. The turn of a card can can make or break you. But skilled Texas Hold'em players know what they're doing, and they're just, everything that they're doing is by design, even as they're playing a game that is... Uh, there is an element of luck to the game that they have chosen to play, but luck and skill go hand-in-hand in, hand in a game of Texas Hold'em when you're at the, when you're at the table. There is no, you're only playing, the, when you're playing the slots, you're only playing the game of luck. What USC is doing in in its current form is playing a slot machine. There is no skill involved in whether or not USC is going to win or lose a game. It's all going to come down to heart and the bounce of the ball. And the one thing you can, you can give USC is that they have heart, so they're going to sit at that table and maybe win, they're going to sit at that slot machine and maybe win. But it, it doesn't come down to any stroke of 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 plan or or setting themselves up to win in any way shape or form so you know i guess that long-winded analogy is all just to say like guys if you're a usc fan and you're watching this team like accept that you're sitting at a slot machine you're gonna get you know the house always wins so you put money on black or red what are you doing i don't i don't play that because again that's a game of luck. <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to talk about a game that's not of luck. The over under up next. Damn, that was a good transition. Good, good segue. Thank you. I know. All right, we'll be right back. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, we've gone from red and black to over and under for the season coming in. You are 18 and 15. I was a little bit better at 19 and 14 because the luck was on my side, baby. Let's get into the first one. You said over under 129.5, a passer rating for Ian Book. The Trojans had given up passer ratings higher than that to BYU and Utah, but lower than that in every other game. They held Jacob Eason down pretty well. Uh, Well, Ian Book had yet another low passer rating for USC's pass defense. 106. You said under, I said over. You get the point, and I don't. 
Yeah, and this is something that I I neglected to mention in the last segment, but um, going back to Bill Connolly's statement about how USC was on schedule, they had more havoc plays, they uh, they didn't have any turnovers, and let's throw in Ian Book was held to a low passer rating. He did not have a good game. And yet USC still found a way to lose that game. So, like, the excuses that USC gives about, oh, they just made one more play than us. Like, no, that's not, this This obviously not was not the case. This game didn't come down to the big swings of the game where you screwed up or didn't screw up. This, you just you just got beat across the board. So, or for the 10 minutes that mattered in the game, which was the 10 minutes that Notre Dame built up their lead. Yeah. I, I really like the, the Bill Connolly thing of, like, Notre Dame capitalized on their momentum and USC didn't. When they were on yeah. top, they they scored the points and when USC was on top, they didn't and right. It's it's a frustrating By the that- way, how different is the game? And I, I know we're talking about over under, but how different is the game if Notre Dame gets the touchdown on the kick return? The, okay, that was the stupidest play in the history of mankind. I, I know, but why but while right. we were, why we were, I can't speak. While we were rewatching it, I told you that, you know, that was the turnover. Like, not because he fumbled it and, you know, SC could have had an opportunity to recover, but that was the turnover in the game. He fumbled away seven He fumbled points. away seven points, and even though Notre Dame recovers it, in in all sense of what a turnover is, that was a turnover. It was a complete turnover, and, and that was the benefit the USC got. Was it that not not being a touchdown? Notre Dame scores a field goal on that drive, so it's not like a turnover turnover, but they sure. they four leave points. they leave four points on the board because he's free and clear to the end zone. So in a three point game, the four points matter. <laughs> That's that is true. It it, it does matter a lot. Uh, l- let's talk about the next over under. No kidding, no kidding. Uh, let's move on to the next over under. I said four and a half rushes of 10 plus yards for USC because Notre Dame was 93rd in the country, allowing 30 in their first five games. You said under, I said over, it was over right at five. Marquis Step had three, Vi Malpaia had one, and Stephen Carr had one for a total of five to give me that over. That was right on the money. Right on the money. Credit to you. I I think we're going to be saying that a lot because <laughs> my lines, like, I was pretty good at picking lines this week. I will say that. I will say that. And, yeah, what SC did in this game was was pick up chunk plays on the ground, especially with, with Step. He had three rushes of 19-plus yards, and those were the, all the rushes that were more than 10 when at least 19. So, that's that's why he had as many yards as he did. What eighty two, eighty two on ten. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 how we got there. Uh, next one over under thirty nine and a half rushing attempts for USC. You said BYU was the only time USC had gotten above forty, but Notre Dame had faced forty in three of their five games, which is why you put the line there. You said under. I was bold and said over. It was at thirty five, uh, ten for step. Eight for Carr, eight for Vi, but also eight for Keaton Slovis. Many of those, actually most of those, pass plays that he was scrambling or sacked. Yeah, so 27 carries for USC's three running backs. On a night when they were running as well as they were, you can absolutely make the argument that USC should have run more often. Um, But we get back to the whole USC would warrant running more often if they also didn't have as many tackles for loss situations that happened. 
And something that I've been pointing out on the rewatch, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, is the fact that on on the three of USC's first four drives, this was when USC is in, this is the 20 minutes that USC is in control of the game and unable to take a clear advantage in this game. Three of the first four drives stall after USC gets two or across midfield when they're moving the ball and then they have a first down run that's stuffed for a loss. And subsequently they attempt to pass on second down and then uh, attempt to pass on third down and get none of those three conversions that they need. Those sequences, I think, are where USC needs to be more bold and trust the running game a little bit more. Because, yes, you get the tackle for loss on the first down, but maybe, maybe just say, screw it, we're going to hand the ball off again because they're still showing us that five-man front, uh, five-man box, and go for it. And I think that's where you can pick up, if you're more willing to run on second down, uh, on second and long, then maybe you you get more of those uh, you get closer to forty carries, or you certainly get a couple. You can engineer a couple more carries for for Marquis Step, and maybe he barrels through and gets you eight yards on one of those carries because that's what Step and Carr and Vi were all doing. They were getting eight yards at a time uh, occasionally. So I would like to see USC be more willing to run, but I am conscious that this is the air raid, and I can dream. My, I have no issues with the run-pass splits in this game. Uh, it was predominantly even. Um, but my... my Exactly even, 35 and 35. Yeah, but Slovis is... Slovis had, had the pass plays. It's plays, 27 yeah. running backs. Right. But the the way I look at it, how good was Keaton Slovis in this game, especially in the second half? Right. So it, I, I think it's... I think, we can we can talk about how they should have definitely run more if the passing game wasn't there, like Washington. But I I think that they were moving the ball through the but air. But you're talking about the second half and really well. And I'm talking about early the first in the half. game. Sure, right. Where but I think both you, those things are true. You could do you could have the symbiotic relationship where you lean on the run early. And this is something that we pointed out in the carcast that and we pointed out in the preview: run early, pass late. Yeah, and that's Which, and by the way, we talked about it in the preview. You said that you you wanted the game in the hands of the running backs, and I said no. Put it in the hands of Slovis and the receivers. Slovis and the receivers. They didn't win the, win the game, Michael. They didn't score twenty more than twenty-seven points. But what I'm talking about, when the game was in their hands in the in the second half, they came. Yeah, through. and why? And and part they of that lost because they didn't score in the first quarter. Yes, but part of the reason why the the passing game opens up late in that game is because is, Notre oh, Dame has to respect the run. But that's what I was talking about in the preview. Yes, but USC could have done more in the first half if USC just says screw it we're going to continue to run that's all I'm saying because I choose not to run the more you run the more defenses will have to commit men to the box that's all I want to see I don't want to see USC become a ground and pound team I don't need that I need USC to challenge those five the the five men in the box by running the ball into straight into them until the defense adjusts and there were moments in that game where Notre Dame did bring seven men up into the box. That is what you want to see. That's the passing look that you want to see. For sure. I, I am right there with you. Moving on. Uh, I said over under 141.78 as a passer rating for Keaton Slovis. That was his passer rating in the loss to BYU. Notre Dame had allowed 150 to Jake Fromm and 141 to Bryce Perkins. Uh, so you said under. I said under and... It was so difficult, so difficult for me to say under because I wanted to say over, but I just felt like it was too pre- presumptive to, for it to, to pay out as the over. 
It was the over. Keaton Slovis' passer rating was 148.6. Uh, it was well under 100 on the first half, nearly 200 in the second half. Pretty damn good second half. Uh, first half was okay, but not okay is not good enough. Yeah, I I expected there to be a turnover. Um, I expected no there to be an interception, and yep. I think uh, I think that that was really the difference is his ability to to take care of the ball um, was was what allowed him to to maintain a passer rating up near one hundred and fifty. What what I liked for him in this game, uh, and I asked Clay Helton about it in the conference call, and like he echoed the same thing, like his ability to move around in the pocket. Uh, he he ran eight times because. Part of that is him making a good decision. Um, part of that is, you know, a couple of sacks too. But his ability to move around the pocket, we saw that in, in against Stanford. Is it moving the launch point, finding, you know, sensing the pressure and getting out of there, sensing the pressure and still making a pass like on that last drive when Notre Dame is blowing up. Uh, the offensive line with a three-man front and the oh, dropping don't, eight. Don't get me started. If you guys want to yeah. hear me talk about the – just embarrassing offensive line performance at times in this game. Yeah. Go but, listen but, to the rewatch because I detailed do on that, that bullcrap. He, he carves them up anyway, yes. which is what you wanted to see from Keaton Slovis. So he he absolutely did his job in this game. Moving on, uh, you said over under two and a half sacks for the Trojans. They had three in a, in a few games, but only two against Utah and Washington. Notre Dame had only given up six collectively in five games going into this. You said over, I said under. It was under. It was one sack for one yard on the weirdest of plays because it could have been a sack for like a loss of 14. It was Ian Book retreating with Drake Jackson on him. He slid. This is right before the half. Uh, Drake Jackson dives, cannot pull him down. Uh, Book evades, scrambles, scrambles way back, comes back up, and it's just a loss of like a yard or two. And that keeps Notre Dame in field goal position and in, in field goal range. They kick a field goal at the end of the first half to get three points. They win the game by three points. Yeah, it's a big play, and it's um, this is a theme, right? USC's inability to finish sacks is has been a problem for a while, and it remained a problem in this game. Um, on that particular play, I think the bigger problem in this game is how rarely they even had the opportunity to get a sack when it wasn't sending a DB in on a blitz. Closest they got to a sack, uh, two other sacks in this game were Greg Johnson coming off the edge, Talano Hafanga coming off the edge. Um, the 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 front four did not generate pressure on their own at pretty much any point in the game, with the exception of a couple moments for Drake Jackson. Yeah, you got to get more. Got to get more from those guys. And that's maybe one of the biggest disappointments. Uh, if Christian Rector is going to be that bad on the edge as far as defending run plays, then at least make up for it by being a havoc maker in the backfield by getting to the quarterback. He can't get to the quarterback. So what even is the point? Yeah. A lot of areas for USC to improve. That's chiefly among them, especially after that game. Uh, Last one. I said over under 69 and a half offensive plays, uh, which I thought was a, a nice line here. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I know you agree. Uh, 69 and a half offensive plays for USC. They had 70. I'm so good at putting these on. lines together. Both of us said over, we both got. I was going to say, I'm so good at picking the over on that line. We were three and three but both uh, all week. Like, we, we I, were the same. I was just talking specifically about that line. Hey, I, I got it too. That's I got fine. it too. That's fine. 
But yeah, even Steven, you went three and three. I went three and three, which means my lead is still intact. Hanging on by a thread. 22 and 17 is my record in over under this year. You are 21 and 18. Let's talk about the game predictions. Bill Bill Connolly's numbers. uh, He said Notre Dame would win by 9.1 points, which is 34 to 25. They didn't win by that much. Uh, Vegas said that Notre Dame would win by 11. They only won by three. SC covered. Your prediction was Notre Dame 33, USC 22. That could have came out if Notre Dame added an extra field goal and didn't score the last touchdown. It could have gotten a little bit close, sort of, kind of. Uh, I said Notre Dame 27, USC 21. My prediction was the closest. I picked SC to cover, but... Still not quite the thirty to twenty seven. I think you uh, and I you and I both sort of hit the spirit of the game, you taking a little bit on the on the under and me taking a little bit on the over, but the spirit was correct. USC in the twenties, Notre Dame a few points ahead. I, I do want to to make a, a point here and, and call back to the game preview because I feel like I nailed this game. in in talking about the, the, the previews my predictions haven't been great all season. Uh, nobody is great at, at predictions all the time. But I think that, I've, especially the last few weeks, I think I have done a good, not to toot my own horn too much, but I think I've done a good job of outlining how games can be played, will or may be played out, right? I, I, I said in the preview episode, I'm, I'm looking back through our rundown here, I, I said, the case for USC was that Notre Dame is averaging 29 points a game against Power 5 opponents, which plays in the USC scoring range. They scored 30. I said that as good as Notre Dame's front is, they're not invincible to the run. SC ran for like, what was it, 275 yards or whatever it was? It was a lot of yards. Wait, 175? What was it? It was a lot. SC ran on Notre Dame. That's the point, right? It was 170-something. 170-something, because they threw for... 176, I want to say? That seems right, yeah. Uh, I I said Notre Dame deploys a 4-3 defense, uh, and that that could help things out. But Notre Dame went to a three-man front for a lot of this game, uh, to their credit, that they watched film. But SD was still able to, despite that three-man front, find holes to to throw in the passing game, which is what you would have wanted. Uh, And I said that Notre Dame had given up Decent passing performances from Fromm and Bryce Perkins from Georgia and Virginia, respectively. And there went Keaton Slovis putting up a pretty decent passing effort, too. So the the case for USC played out. The problem was they didn't make do in, in the first quarter. Well, isn't that the biggest indictment of USC? That, that, that they everything lo- everything they needed to go right in this game did and they still didn't win? Well, that USC's excuses in the previous games was, oh, the quarterback committed so many turnovers. What can you do? All that kind of stuff. Well, your quarterback didn't commit any turnovers. You did a lot of you those things. You only committed that, two penalties. Yeah. You did a lot of those things that buried you in the past that you could point to as individual things, individual screw-ups that were burying you. You didn't have any of those problems in this game, and you still lost, which means that you are not on Notre Dame's level. And if you're not on Notre Dame's level, you're not truly a competitive team, at least on the level that you should be. Not nationally, yeah. Uh, Pick'em. Let's talk about Pick'ems. Uh, <laughs> maybe we shouldn't. Uh, you went 11-8, and eight, which tied for 23rd from the week. Alicia, I put on Twitter last week that I thought the lines were really dumb 
and that I must be naive for taking a bunch of underdogs because I took a ton. Update. Vegas knows, man. Alicia, my name is Michael, and I am a freaking dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Don't cut that, Jake, please. Uh, I went 7-12. and 12. Nobody in the entire league who made all the picks went worse than me. This is where I would like to point out that we have a random Troy fantasy football league as well that we have Don't not discussed bring this up, on the podcast yet. As Jake, Don't. our friend Jake from the What's Bruin show uh, pointed out recently that we haven't brought this up. Um, I would like to give an update on no, the league. No, we don't, if you don't need mind. to do this. Uh, no. Hashtag Team Penguin, that's me, is second in the league behind uh, Justin Hayata, who is undefeated 7 to nothing. 7 and 0. Oh, geez. I am 6 and 1. Doing real well. Nobody needs to hear. Real Nobody well. cares about other people's fantasy league. Is Michael teams. number three? Is Michael number four? Five? Why are you six, doing this? Seven? Don't eight? Do this. Nine? Ten? Don't do this. There is a team called Bye Week in number 10. There's a team called Air Raiders in number 11. Michael's slip screen state is 0 and 7. I literally lost to bye week last week. <laughs> bye week is David Owens County's team and I lost. And the frustrating thing for me in fantasy, my my little soapbox, I'm trying so freaking hard, man. I'm making so many moves. I I had the the best tight end in all of fantasy, Jacob Breland for Morgan out for the season. I drafted Jamar Jefferson with my fir- with my my first pick, uh, well, I, Khalil Tate and Jamar Jefferson with my first two picks. Jamar Jefferson is like barely played and not really played at all this year for Oregon State. Everything that could go wrong is going wrong. I, I picked up Indiana's defense. I got 24 points out of Indiana and lost to bye week. Yep. Put me out to pasture, yep. please, please. The struggle is real, man. I know, I know. All right. Uh, to date, though, I'm doing better than you in the picks for the season. I'm at 91 and 58, tied for 19th. You're at 80 and 69, tied for 54th. Last week's leader was Blame Bob Connolly, who went 16 and three. I like that name. I went seven and 12, and he went 16 and three. He or she? Yeah. Very frustrating. It's a good thing uh, to do. Leaders to date. Uh, Kangaroo 30 has taken a three-game lead, a 102 and 47 record. Air range for the win is at 99.50. Uh, and Tartar uh, is at 99 and 55. And the LeBrantar Pit Bulls are at 99 and 50 as well. 99 and 50, the last three, all tied for second place, essentially. Take a quick break and we'll go into the mailbag. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Alicia, let's go to a voicemail we got from Scott. Hey, guys, this is Scott from Memphis. Great car cast, five stars. It was really entertaining and really good, and everything y'all said, I completely 100% agree, and I would be shocked if any Trojan fan would not agree with every, the assessment of the Notre Dame loss, everything. Personally, why uh, Clancy Pendergast is allowed to be on the campus after last year is just shocking, but that's okay. Uh, Michael, you made a wonderful observation. Four teams in the country right now are, are elite. Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. Two of the coaches that 
built those teams to elite status, and other coaches have taken over and kept it or available. Bob Stoops and, of course, Urban Meyer. Have we gotten an, an athletic director yet? I haven't been keeping up, but we need to start looking and talking to those people. Uh, would be entertaining of your thoughts on that matter. Take care and fight on. Thanks for the call and the kind words, Scott. Uh, no AD yet, um, but to talk about Bob Stoops and Urban Meyer, uh, I mean, so many people want Urban Meyer for sure. Bob Stoops is the one that no one ever talks about. I I don't remember if I've said it on the pod or not. Bob Stoops is who I'd go after. Uh, he's the national championship coach who has one title, not three, like, like Urban Meyer, but he's someone who has built a program that he built Lincoln Riley's program, which is pretty damn good right now. Just like Scott mentioned, he's someone who doesn't have, uh, the, the baggage. Yeah. Baggage. There's no baggage. Uh, and he's someone who I think can put together a pretty damn good staff. Uh, certainly urban Meyer could, could as well. But one of the, the, the things for me is that, I think the future of college football is going more and more and more into what Oklahoma is doing. Oklahoma's offense is incredible. Uh, it's built from the air raid. I think what US, if USC was able to actually get things going, I think that they could potentially um, be playing a style like Oklahoma. Ideally, they're not there yet. They're not even remotely close. They're not in that ballpark to, to make that comparison, obviously. But I'm saying that SC has the talent to be able to perform in a similar style. Um, and that's why I think that Bob Stoops would be really interesting because maybe he, you hire Bob Stoops, he goes out and gets Bill Benbaugh, who for my money is the best offensive line coach in the country because he coaches an offensive line to work with that air raid spread them out offense. And they were the best offensive line in the entire country last year. Oklahoma, a team running the air raid. Yeah. It's not supposed to have a good offensive line. Right. And and they do. And so yeah, I, I think you're right on, right, right on, Scott. Like, um, th- there's people want changes, and they want changes that'll be verified to bring in something good. Yeah, I think good Ur- results. I think Urban Meyer. If you're if you're looking at Urban Meyer versus Bob Stoops, I think Urban Meyer's track record, um, in terms of winning at multiple places, works in his favor over he's over won Bob everywhere Stoops. he's been. Yeah, yeah, and and I think Bob Stoops. What works against him is that when Pete Carroll was at his best at USC, he was doing so sort of parallel to Bob Stoops. And you had sort of Pete who was winning every bowl game he was ever in. So the big game uh, coach that Pete was. And then you had the sort of dichotomy of Bob Stoops, who by that point, he had already won the national title. But by that point, I mean, he goes on a run from 2003 to 2008 uh, his teams are really outstanding, but he loses uh, five out of six bowl appearances that he's he has. He's still big game Bob no, Stoops. Right, but he's big game Bob Stoops based on the first four years of his right, tenure, right? right? So by the time that most USC fans, I think I think that USC fans probably have, or at least from my own personal experience, I have the Bob Stoops of 2003 to 2008 in my head of sure. like national contender, but can't get it done uh, because but he was the 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 here, counterweight to to Pete. But I don't think that's fair because if you look at his, um, you know, just looking at my own uh, perception, you look at his record at Oklahoma, like that's impeccable. 
So he he goes seven and five, and then thirteen and zero, eleven and two, twelve wins, twelve wins, twelve wins, eight wins, eleven wins, eleven wins, twelve wins, eight wins, twelve wins, ten wins, ten wins, eleven wins, eight wins, eleven wins, eleven wins. Like, would you trade the next ten years at USC? Would I trade them for that? I I I mean, I would take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Pretty, 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 pretty good. But when you compare it to Urban Meyer's track record where instead of one national title, you get three. And instead of a couple eight-win seasons, you get at worst a nine-win season between Florida and and Ohio State. And you get the dominance that he had at Ohio State where he's going head-to-head with Nick Saban and and going toe-to-toe with Saban and feeling like those are the two best coaches in, in college football. And if you can't have Nick Saban, then Urban Meyer is the next best thing. I don't think you get that sort of mystique with, with Bob Stoops. Although I agree with you. If you want the big name head coach who has a national title on his record, which there are not many of those guys out out there, without the baggage, without the USC tax of can you really hire Urban Meyer now, guys, then Bob Stoops is the dude. Also, Bob Stoops has already come out of retirement, so you're not dealing with the does he really want to coach right now thing? Yeah, but I also he come out he's coming out of retirement to coach in the XFL. To me, that's like Coming out of retirement and golfing in the in the in the senior league, but or when, the senior circuit. Or but what, when you're, what's, what's it called? The senior this oh, PGA this sen- senior tour champions yeah. tour now champions yeah tour. whatever it's called. Um, to me though, when you're talking about like these head coaches, head coaches, the reason no one believes that Urban Meyer's actually retired retired is because these head coaches they just they can't quit the game, right? I think Bob Stoops coming out of retirement to join the XFL is the signal that like. He can't quit the game. He did two years out the game, and he can't quit the game. So he's the ideal. That's what I'm saying. He's the ideal yeah. that Urban Meyer isn't, but he's yeah. not as sexy as Urban Meyer in the coaching resume. Where he's not sexy, though, he makes up for in... In, in not having the baggage. Yes, which is, I think, what someone like Carol Fult would be completely happy with. The so. other problem is that Urban Meyer, you see clear connection. Like, he's living in Los Angeles right now, where I don't know if... I don't know if Bob Stoops has an L.A. connection. I don't know if... Does that matter? Did did, did Howard Jones have an L.A. connection? No. No, he didn't. It was Clay Helton from him. L.A.? No. Like, I, I don't think these things matter. I, I, I really don't. Um, I think it, I think it makes it easier, but I don't think that it... it, it I don't think it, it makes it impossible. But anyways, moving on. Let's go to our voicemail uh, we got from Cameron in Frisco, Texas. Randa Troy, Randa Troy, Randa Troy. Well, we just got done watching the USC Notre Dame game. I'm surprised, first of all, USC only lost by three points. Honestly, I take it because, you know what, I was expecting a blowout. So that was my whole expectation. Does this game help Clay Helton's chances of actually staying, or does it not? Or is it still an indictment on him possibly getting fired by the end of the season? Um, personally, I think it doesn't, like, it doesn't solidify his job. It still is a loss. A loss is still a loss, especially one on the road and one to a ranked team. And what makes it worse, it's your rival. It's Notre Dame. You haven't beaten Notre Dame since 2016. And you haven't beaten either UCLA or Notre Dame since 2017 when you beat UCLA. So it's been almost two years since you've actually beaten a rival. And according to USC standards, that is unacceptable. And that is honestly, that is a, that's a, that's bad. That's, that's not good. So there's my question for you guys. See you later, guys. Um, fight on, fight out, and let's beat the Wildcats. Let's see if we can play somewhat better next week. Because we kind of did pretty good this week. But, yeah, well, fight on, fight out. 
Fight out, Cameron. I love that that's, that that's sticking around. Um, yeah, I... Okay, so here's the thing. I think that 5-7 and seven last year means that Clay Helton loses some benefit of the doubt, so win-loss record actually does matter uh, in terms of whether or not his job is safe. So a close loss to Notre Dame really doesn't help him all that much. I think it prevents him from... Like, a, a blowout loss to Notre Dame probably is the nail in the coffin, uh, is a nail in the coffin where I think uh, he sort of stalls with a close loss to Notre Dame, but it's still three and three. And if he still gets to the end of the season and it's seven and five, then, which is a a reasonable uh, projection from here, then he's still going to have to sort of face the, face the music. So uh, I think the, the, the rivalry record is certainly in play but for me, it's overall record, and and it comes back to the, the defining thing that we've said from the beginning is he's got to win the South. And if he doesn't win the South, then his job is in jeopardy regardless of what his, uh, what his record is, short of some sort of miracle scenario where he goes 9-3 and three and Utah... No, that's not even a miracle. That, that, that can't happen. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, if he wins out, it's 9-3. and three. If he goes 9-3... and three, they still win the South because Utah, uh, it doesn't matter how many games, USC won't have lost another game in the Pac-12, they'll still have the tiebreaker, so they can't uh, lose to um, lose the tiebreaker to Utah. So 9-3 and three equals a Pac-12 South victory. Right. Yeah, I, I, I keep going down the, the boat that a new athletic director changes, the, changes everything. I, I think that where... Where you know nine and three is, is probably good enough to keep him with, with Lynn Swan, that might not be good enough to keep him with the new athletic director because you can sit here and be like, as the new athletic director walk in and say, "I want my own guy. I want to go out and make my own hire. I want to like the new athletic director is being hired to make hires." That's why the new athletic director is hired, is being hired. The new athletic director is not being hired to sit on his or her hands. So I, I think that nine and three, um, or you know, getting to the Pac-12 championship game is not a lock for Clay Helton. I think that winning the Pac-12 and going to the Rose Bowl might be, but but be anything before that, I I don't think is is a hard and fast, you know thing about him you know definitely staying it's just so hard to tell until we until we're able to reference an ad right yep. and a and a final tally on the win loss right yeah and, and how those end up coming to be yeah yep. and is one of them ucla because, is one of them be, because it, like like we said if sc plays the rest of the season like the second half of the notre dame game it's easy to it's easy then to look back at the losses and be like and and to say that there were excuses there whether or not those excuses are valid or not you can make those excuses more of an you can put more argument uh, I, you could what am I trying to say I can't speak English you put more validity on it I there think you go. There, but uh, Clay Helton just to continue this point real quick uh, on Monday night on Trojans Live I wasn't watching the Trojans Live but Shotgun Spratling was tweeting it and he was he tweeted Clay Hilton's comments that he uh, had all of the players who were present for the Rose Bowl for the 2006 run to the Rose Bowl stand up in the team meeting on Monday 
and asked them what their record was after six games uh, in that season, and they said three and three, which is the same record that USC has. Now, that's a little bullcrap, and I call BS, but but sitting at three and three, but, but hold on, hold there on. is a scenario where USC runs the table and is nine and three at the end and goes to the Pac-12 title game and wins that game, and then all of a sudden you can't move on. Okay, like, I, I never mind. We're, we're going to move on to the next call. It's Dan from Burbank. I just wanted to call and say, I feel like we're watching the same thing over and 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 over again. And I have to be honest here. I was at a friend's kid's birthday party and I was like, I'm going to record the game. I'm going to watch it later. And then I was like, who am I kidding? I know what I'm going to see. So I wound up going to the birthday party, watching it on ESPN, uh, on the app, just seeing the score go up. And I'm like, well, of course we're losing. Uh, and then came home at halftime and actually saw something that I was wildly surprised. I actually saw us look reasonably consistent and actually go toe-to-toe. And I hate moral victory. There's no such thing as moral victory. I get the sentiment of it, but there's really no such thing. However, I really think that we're coming to a point where you need somebody to bring us over that that little extra, that little extra oomph to bring it home. And I am starting to believe that Clay Helton is not the guy. I didn't want to believe it for a long time. I said, you know, give him a shot, give him a shot. I, I don't know. I just, I'm not seeing it. It's like... Um, you just need a little extra pep in the coaching staff. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, thanks, and uh, bye, Darn. Thanks for the call. I think we completely agree here. And I want to sum it up by reading the headline from Adam Maya's column. USC, a couple plays away from beating Notre Dame, a coaching change away from beating maybe everyone. Yeah. And I, I, like, I thought like, that was spot on. Like, like we said, like... The, the the players in that game and the performance in that game and the heart in that game, especially in the second half, showed you all the reasons why USC can be a pretty damn good football team. And yet they didn't have the, they didn't have enough to, to to get over the hump. And 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 why haven't they had that that uh, that umph to get over so many of these games? Like there's one common denominator here. Yeah, and and that's the the sad thing is you know you. We, we know where this is ending. We know the inevitability of all of this. And it's frustrating because it is over and over and over and over and over again. And um, it would be one thing, like we said earlier in this episode, it would be one thing if this was just a bad team that was un- incapable of doing anything and needed a major, major facelift in order to uh, in order to be good. But we can see how close they are and how far they are as well. They got so close. And yet so far. But in the end? It didn't even matter. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, rest in peace, Chester. Uh, let's, let's go to an email from Andrew uh, in Buckeye country. Uh, hello, Michael and Alicia. Well, through six games, we've come to see that this team, uh, as they are under Helton and the post-Darnell era, average. 
Uh, this team is neither great nor terrible. Uh, they are consistent in being average. The thing is, being average for USC is bad. With how much talent this team has, they are only as good as their coaches give them. Uh, the stats this season so far in all units put us more or less in the middle of the conference. When it comes to us fans wanting them to change, improve upon things, and hoping they'll do something to make the team better, when we are seven weeks into the season, hope and change unfortunately isn't going to happen. This team is stuck with an average coaching staff who are stubborn and aren't particularly interested in changing things up unless they are forced to. Will this team win out? Maybe. Will this team get boat raced by Oregon and their top-ranked top defense? Most likely. Uh, our talent keeps us close, but in the end, we are always outcoached, and ND was no exception. Looking to the future, will we win the South? Who knows? All I know is my expectations for the rest of the year are at an all-time low. Win out, cool. Lose out, not surprised. Seven and five, eight and four looks to be about right. Six and six wouldn't be a shock as well. The hiring process is slow, but I'll be happy when things happen. Until then, I'm rooting for an average team to get out of a rut the staff has drugged themselves into. Also, Pac-12 refs will always suck no matter how much money you waste in trying to make them better. Thanks for letting me rant and keep up the great work. Fight on, Andrew from Buckeye Country. Yeah, thanks for the email, Andrew. And uh, just on that last point, this is what we talked about in the car cast. Like, the refs are the refs, and you have to build in your expectations for them because they're pretty god-awful. But again, if you watched any of the NFL over the weekend, you sort of learned that referees all suck across the board. I can vouch for how much referees suck in the EPL, uh, in the British Premier League, and how every other podcast uh, that I listen to in, in that frame uh, is pointing at how crappy the refs are there. So basically, just refereeing in general is bad. Uh, so there's that. But um, yeah, yeah, low expectations. That's what more can you do? I, I, again, I, I think the the reason to have low expectations are not because low expectations are acceptable at USC. Uh, mostly because there's just no reason to expect more out of this team at, at this point until they pr- until they prove they have it. That that that's where I'm at. I was having a conversation with someone on Twitter about uh, low expectations, and like I w- what we concluded on was the idea that like. Yeah, we know the expectations are low, but you like you have to work with what you have. Like we have to live with the analysis that is in front of us, and we can't spend every waking moment just saying, you know, nothing. None of this matters. Fire the head coach. None of this matters. Fire the head coach. Like that's not like we still have to look at the game, and we still have to give analysis. We still have to decide, you know, pick things apart and have talking points. So. Yeah, we're 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 lowering the we are lowering the expectations, but it's just because we have to talk about something. I I, I do want to say though, I I think in, when saying lowering expectations sounds like lowering the bar. I don't think anyone's lowering the bar. Uh, I don't I don't think people are changing what they're going to be happy with. Uh, so low expectations, I, I don't think is necessarily the accurate way of putting it. It's not expecting anything. That's what it is, right? Like there are no expectations. Yeah, that that's 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 what it is. Uh, let's go to an email from Eric. This is kind of along the same lines. I wanted to say thanks for the mindset that Michael has given me for the remainder of the season. They're really enjoying the Utah game with the notion that there is no football reason that USC will win the game. 
I actually felt myself relax and enjoy the game, which resulted in a huge win. Halfway through the Washington game, after taking that same mindset, I changed it to, there's no coaching reason why USC will win this dumb game, and the same held true in South Bend. Uh, Looking forward, I will continue to apply the philosophy and try to enjoy the players playing the game we love and miss nine months out of the year. There is no coaching reason why USC will win these last six games, but maybe some YOLO football prevails and we steal a few. Please excuse me while I go and celebrate the only consistently undefeated thing in my life in late October, and that's Halloween Oreos. Thanks and fight on, Eric in Sun Devil Country. Eric, you're flat out freaking wrong. Uh, Halloween Oreos are an abomination. There should only one Oreo that should ever exist. It's regular Oreos. That's it. Uh, Halloween Oreos are fine. Uh, I, I think they're good, good excuse to pick up some Oreos. So I'm here with with Eric on this, but I really like Eric's perspective here. It was something that I was reflecting on uh, before we started recording as well, which is just to say that like at like we always talk about at least the players fight. At least there's some like pick a player that you like. Like we heard in the rant line, we heard Trinice talk about how like man, hey Marquis Step, like he's out there. And you've talked about like, oh, like Keaton Slovis, he's he's he had a had a hell of a game. Like maybe the key to the rest of the season is just to pick the players that you really are invested in and which there should be because there are players that are worth investing in, in this in this team. And just sort of like just try to enjoy when they have their triumphs, like as individuals. I I don't know, maybe maybe that's the solution. Just focus on the players as much as you can and whatever positives you can glean from that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that uh, for the most part. And th- this is the resignation and, and the apathy, right? Like this team is what they are uh, to, to lose sleep over them, not continuing to win just seems like, you know, touching the hot plate again. Cause you know what this team is, you know what this team is. Mm-hmm. So just enjoy college football season for what it is, because like Eric said, it's, it's gone for nine months out of the year and it's going to freaking suck when it's gone. And we're, we're going to sit here and say, why isn't college football back? It's going to be really, really annoying. Uh, take a quick break. We'll come right back uh, and finish up the mail. You've got mail. All right, let's go to an email from David. Hey, Michael and Alicia, we tune in to watch USC play every week, hoping for changes and improvements on all sides of the ball. It seemed like at halftime of the Notre Dame game, we were still hoping for improvements and changes. The same things happened that we've seen all season. A lack of turning yards into points and big plays given up on defense. I saw myself generating so much hope in the second half. Our offense was scoring and the defense was hanging in there in the third quarter. But as the game ended, I sat back and realized good teams move the ball, good teams make some plays, but great teams make the plays when they matter most and when the game is on the line. The defense had chances to get off the field on 3rd and 6 and 3rd and 10, but couldn't. They couldn't make the plays when it mattered the most, and that's what separates a good team from a great team. Oh, and three points in the first half when and giving up 300-plus rushing yards on defense doesn't help either. Thoughts, David from San Diego. Spot on there. Yeah, definitely spot on from David there. And I think he's reflecting kind of Bill Connolly's ultimate point, which was, yeah, uh, when it mattered most, the 10 minutes that you were on top, 
uh, the, sorry, the 20 minutes that you were on top, you didn't capitalize. And you let Notre Dame capitalize when they had their 10 minutes on top. And uh, that is what separates good teams from from not good teams or good teams from great teams. Or stopping Ian Book on that last drive. Yeah. Third and 10. Third and 10. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to our voicemail we got from Michael and Idaho. Hey, guys. This is Michael in Idaho. I won't call this a rant because I'm just so emotionally done and drained and tired of the whole football program at this point that uh, I, I can't even get that worked up about it. I hate to admit it, but I only spot-checked the uh, SC Notre Dame game Saturday, and ordinarily I'd listen to it you know, every play. Um, so going by what I can tell, it sounds like they got a bad uh, call on the uh, roughing the passer, and the score is actually closer than what I expected. And I did hear some of the post-game show, and Clay Helton, he's right. You know, if they take care of their business the last six games, uh, they're still in – reasonable shape but um i'm just done drinking the kool-aid i'll you know i'll pay attention to what's going on but there was enough other sports and other good games going on uh you know i couldn't get too fired up about it uh finally how happy do you think coach o is that he's at lsu these days they're probably like the number one team in the country at this point that's it guys fight on bye-bye hey guys this is michael in idaho again i forgot to add uh if any of you want to compare and contrast uh Unfortunately, what's going on with USC to a pretty nice team at this point. Feel free to climb aboard the uh, Boise State bandwagon. There's plenty of room. Uh, they got a nice team and a uh, pretty good chance of getting into the uh, uh, finals as a Power 5 team. Uh, I'd actually like to see uh, SC consider Coach Harson as a candidate uh, when Helton gets replaced later on. That's it. Right on. Bye. Thanks for the call, Michael. I think he makes some good points. Uh, Brian Harson would be a candidate that I think would be a very good thing. Uh, you, if USC looks at Brian Harson, I would give that so much, so much praise because SC is in a situation where you ever just sit there and you're like, I can't imagine that USC knows Brian Harson exists. But Brian Harson is the kind of coach, like Brian Harson is the kind of coach that that becomes he, an Urban that Meyer. That yeah, well, yeah, he he is Urban Meyer without being as high profile, uh, but. Uh, Urban Meyer back when he was Bowling Green in Utah. Uh, so he is the guy that you get in on the ground floor. And I don't know that Urban, that Brian Harson is like your first choice, but Brian Harson, if once you've gone and tried to go get your heavy hitter, your Bob Stoops, your Urban Meyer, and if you can't pull them in, then Brian Harson is absolutely a coach that you could look at and say, you know what, we're going to find the next Urban Meyer. And, and it would show it would show that USC is doing hiring the way that, you know, program should right yeah if you consider candidates and you know not based on knowing the fight song yeah 100 percent. by the way the, the thought about lsu and, and coach o <laughs> i I've, I've told you this off air i i think it's very interesting that so many sc fans and and rightfully so like the, the, don't say that i'm i'm not giving clay helton the benefit of the doubt at all in this uh the, the idea that, well, Clay Helton only won because Sam Darnold. People saying that are the same people saying, oh, my God, LSU under Ed Ogeron. Isn't it amazing? Uh, have you seen Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow's the best player in college football this year. If the Heisman was awarded today, it'd go to Joe Burrow. Like, the reason LSU is where they are in the polls is because of Joe Burrow. But, like, 
you you can't say one thing one way and then the other the other way. But okay. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Like I I take a soft. I'm not saying that Ed Ogeron doesn't give any deserve any credit. I'm no. saying that the argument the, the the obtuse narrative one way has to work the other way at the same point. Yeah, I I uh, have a softer opinion of of Coach O than you do, but at the same time, I I do find it funny that like everything that Clay Helton did good was because Sam Darnold, and yet like Coach O has not achieved more than Clay Helton has at USC. At LSU, this is factually correct, and he's got Joe Burrow now, and all of a sudden they're this wonder team, and it's like, okay, so how much of that is the singular player who's playing out of his mind? You know, like you turnabout is fair play. I think both arguments are dumb, but the argument in Clay Helton's direction has certainly been done to death. So let's spin that on his head. Right, you made my point for me. Great, thanks. Uh, yeah, and. Good, good call, Michael. I think you make uh, all the many points that that the people are feeling out there, and so many people hitting along those same topics. Uh, let's get to the final email, which is really long, which means Alicia, you have been chosen to read it. All righty, uh, gearing up for this. This is from Tim. He says, "Urban Meyer's name keeps getting thrown around, so I'd love to get your opinions on a couple of things. I'll se- separate them out into coaching questions and scandal questions." First, coaching. Given Coach Meyer's habit of overdoing it and then resigning, if we hire him, it's safe to bet it would be a short-term hire. However, based on his track record, he would build USC back into national powerhouse pretty quickly. So do you trust USC to take a powerhouse off his hands and continue to succeed? Or should USC look for a long-term hire, knowing that yet another coaching change would probably be bad news for the morale and recruiting? So let's just answer that one to start out with. Uh, I'll say it. USC, I am beginning to worry. I have always said the idea that USC recruits itself is a little bit flawed because USC has had legitimately good recruiters, and that really helps USC's ability to continually bring in these top 10 classes. And you're seeing over the past couple of years what happens when USC isn't recruiting itself uh, for one reason or another. I know Clay Hilton's hot seat is certainly a part of that, but you can make the argument that you take the chance on Urban Meyer being a short-term hire just to get your recruiting back up into elite levels, even if it's just for a few years, so that then the pantry is full for the next guy, where if you bring in a guy who maybe needs more time to do a rebuild, uh, who you're not guaranteed that they will be a success anyways in the long term, uh, let's say a Brian Harson type, then, you know, if that goes wrong, then now you're five, six, seven years of of poor recruiting as opposed to just a couple. Yeah, I, I I always have said hire your coach hoping that they're going to be here for the next 15, 20 years. Um, and I know Bob Soups doesn't fit that that bill either, by the way. Um, but what what is your goal? Is your goal to win national championships or is your goal to build a national championship program? Because I think they're two different things. Uh, if you if you just strictly want to win national championships and nothing else, Urban Meyer's your guy, right? Well, here's my counterpoint. Counterpoint. Urban Meyer built Ohio State back up into a national title contender. Yeah, now they got Ryan. Hands Day. the reins over to Ryan Day. Same thing with Bob, Bob Stoops. Stoops builds Oklahoma up Lincoln and Riley. hands it over yeah. to Lincoln Riley. Like, like yeah. Scott Memphis said. Yes. Yeah. So it's not like Urban Meyer can't do that. But you you hire Urban Meyer and then you you keep an eye out on who would be the successor six seven eight years 
four years. Well, yeah. however many Ideally years. six, seven, eight years, but yeah. 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 All right. So the next portion of Tim's email is the scandal. So he says, in an effort to find the facts, I read through the investigating committee's 23-page summary of their findings. The committee found fault with a few people, but only the issues with Urban Meyer personally are relevant to a potential USC hire. In my opinion, the committee found three major areas of fault for him personally, all related to wide receivers coach Zach Smith's 2015 allegations of domestic violence. Firstly, because there was no arrest or court action, Urban and the AD believed no notification of the university was required. The committee faulted them because that was a mistake. University policy did require uh, did not require formal law enforcement action in order for them to make the notifications. Secondly, he was faulted for the Big Ten Media Day press conference. There was a media report that Smith had been arrested for a felony in 2015 that was later later proved untrue. Meyer intended to deny knowledge of the of the arrest, but the committee wrote, quote, Coach Meyer went too far and incorrectly denied any knowledge of allegations of abuse in 2015. Despite that, they conclude, quote, Coach Meyer did not, in our view, deliberately lie. And thirdly, Coach Meyer was admonished because of the conversation with the director of football operations the morning after the news broke that he, in fact, did know about the 2015 allegations and investigation. They discussed how to have his phone auto-delete old text messages in case the media got access to the phone. The committee couldn't determine if that setting was enabled prior to or as a result of the reports, but they faulted him because there was that was a poor reaction to the report. This wasn't a career-ending scandal, and it did not involve NCAA violations, so should this scandal on its own preclude him from being hired by USC— I'd love to get your feedback on these topics. Thanks for all the great work. Great work you guys do. Fight on, Tim, in Los Angeles. Thanks for for all the thought you put in there, all the the research and everything. Awesome. That's exactly the kind of stuff I want to see in an email. Um, here here's my thought about Ermire, and I think I think I've said this before, and may, I don't want to 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 say this and and simplify the situation too much, but to me, it's less about any misdeeds Urban Meyer did or didn't do. It's about USC. USC is, a, is in a position as a university, and, and I've said this multiple times, so maybe this is going to sound like I'm just beating a dead horse. This is a university that has had scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal after scandal after embarrassing scandal. They are paying out $215 million to uh, students who saw a, a, a doctor on campus that sexually abused them. They were the only school involved in two FBI investigations, that, that two nationwide FBI investigations. They have been involved in a, a, a real estate scandal at University Village. There was the Keck Medicine uh, dean over there. I'm, I'm sure I'm not thinking of a million more, right? Like scandal after scandal. The, med- the medical school dean and his drug... Yeah, so many things, so many things. It's not about Urban Meyer, it's about USC. SC, if they really want to prove that they're, I mean, if if they want to make it super clear, at least, that they are moving past scandals, then they need to hire a football coach, its most visible ambassador in the entire university, the football coach, they need to hire someone who has a squeaky clean image. Uh, and maybe not squeaky clean, but you know what I mean. Like someone who's not tied to something like what Urban Meyer is tied to. And it's again, it's not about Urban Meyer. It's about USC. USC has no goodwill 
with this stuff because they've just been a scandal machine. And that's on USC to fix. Uh, it's, it's not, it's, it's not an indictment of Urban Meyer, really. It's on USC to fix. And, and so for me, I think if USC is serious about cleaning the, their image up, you don't go out and hire Urban Meyer. See, and I take a different approach. Um, I agree in general with everything that you've said. Uh, but I also think that Carol Folt does get to come in and be the cleaner upper and all of those other things. And Carol Folt could make the argument that nothing that Coach Meyer did was a threat to Ohio State, was um, a what was a, you know, a, 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 an offense that precludes him from being USC's hire, that USC being good at football is probably the thing that takes people's minds off of all of those scandals uh, and, and the like. It probably takes a lot of pressure off of the university as a result if US, if people are happy about the football team. So um, I don't think that anything that Urban Meyer did, what Urban Meyer did was um, less than honorable, I'll say. But at the same time, like, I think this is my personal view. I respect that a lot of people don't agree with me on this. But I also am a believer in sort of separating roles. I don't think that your head football coach needs to be um, a, a, a sort of a bastion of 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 um, righteousness or anything like that. They need to have sure. integrity to the point where they're not committing NCAA violations. But quite frankly, they're being hired to win football games. So go out and win hire go go out and win football games without breaking the rules of the the athletics. For me. If you are an athletics coach, then my focus is on you as an athletics coach. We've seen Clay Hilton, good person, not a great football coach. So the great personness is totally periphery. And there are a lot of people who disagree with me on that and totally get why. And I There's understand a lot of that. people who disagree with me. So it's but totally like for me, I don't think that anything Urban Meyer didn't didn't um, you know break any rules. I think he. Uh, if I'm being unkind to him and his reasons for not reporting Zach Smith, I think he was a coward. But you know what? I, I, I'm sorry. I, he's a football coach, so I'm looking at him as a football coach. I'm not here to, uh, to judge his personal life. All right. There you go. There you have it. There you have it, Tim. Uh, those are our thoughts on Urban Meyer. Um, I know there's going to be so many more emails and calls about Urban Meyer yeah, yeah. in the, these next couple of months, but yeah, uh, it's, so be it. The SC put themselves in this position uh, by being three and three, by being five and seven last year. It's on the Trojans to uh, to stop those narratives by by winning football games. Uh, so we will see what USC does this week against Arizona. We'll preview it in our Thursday episode, the USC versus Arizona preview, which should be episode three hundred and thirty nine. Uh, this was 338, a really long one, uh, a really fun one to record. I, I had a blast rec- doing this, and uh, we hope you did too. So we will see you next time. Until then, Alicia, give us your final word. The final word is fan, as in the studio really needs some air to be moving. I am freaking dying. It's You know what it is? It is like 65 oh. degrees no, no, hold outside. On, hold, on, hold on. I just realized that, Keely, I hope you're still listening. It is like the car in here. 
When we do a car cast, this is like the car. It's like the the. You room, know how sweltering it gets in the freaking car. The room is is acting like, and it doesn't make any sense because it is legitimately. The we, windows aren't fogging we, up. Though. We open. Well, yeah, this is in the car cast. We opened the windows briefly in the middle of the recording to try and air out the room, and it got cold within thirty seconds in this room. It got cold, and yet we close the windows, and all of a sudden, bam! It's like a like the middle of summer. I don't understand it. I'm quite frustrated. Uh, we don't turn on the fan because someone here, Mr. Audio Czar, doesn't like the background noise, so. Sorry. I'm just. Yeah. It's all your fault. We're perfect in every aspect of the podcast. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and yeah, so you heard it here, Keely. Anything recorded in the studio equals a car, equals a car cast. So Pretty as far much. as I'm concerned. Yep. Yeah. All right. We, we will be back later. Uh, as Alicia just bangs the table over here. I'm just so angry, Michael. <laughs> it was fun. Oh, you already... Uh, what am I doing? <laughs> See, the, the heat is just getting to me. Yeah, right. just end it. See ya. See ya. See ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.